to tell It's gonna be a great Noel It's the Advent Calendar House Muffins, Black Man Smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, the official holiday podcast for people who used to be furniture. (laughs) It is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that I take you on today's journey into the depths of Disney's direct-to-video library for a tale as old as 1997. It's Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. I am brooding pipe organist turned actual pipe organ who just discovered emo, Mike Westfall. (laughs) And joining me are a couple of sentient ornaments I found in the attic who may or may not have existed before my entire house was cursed. Please welcome back Christy and Bree from Bad Crisp... Nope. Please (laughs) welcome... That's a different podcast. Please welcome back Christy and Bree from Bad... I have it right here. That's, that's okay. Honestly, I screw it up all the time, too, and it's my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Please welcome back Christy and Bree from Bad Princess Movies. Hey, pals. Hey, Hello. how's it going? Doing well. Thank you both again for coming back. Thank you for having us. Very excited yes. to chat about this one. Oh, I thank you for. Go ahead. Having us back. Sorry. <laughs> no, all is well. Uh, I've had this one on my to-do list for a while now, so I'm happy to finally talk about it. But first, let me ask if you remember the first time you watched this special or any other history you may have with it. And we will start with Christy. I I can't remember the exact time that I watched this movie. I'm pretty certain that this was one that my grandmother would have had on VHS because, of course, grandma's VHS collection far surpassed my family's VHS collection. (laughs) So I'm sure that I watched it because me and my sister were both big fans of Beauty and the Beast. And yet I don't really have any strong memories of this one. Um, I don't know. I guess we just just did not make an impression on us or something. But uh, yeah, it wasn't really until I started delving into the bad princess movie stuff that I rewatched this one as an adult. And that's where a lot of my, I guess, displeasure at this movie comes from. Not a fan of this one, but (laughs) it's going to be a good time goofing on it. Perfect. Brie, what about you? Um... You know, I I don't think unless I saw it at like a friend's house or something, I don't think I ever saw this as a kid. It's not one that I remember ever having on VHS or anything like that. So I don't think I like I think I first watched this film in in my memory to uh, was last year when I did it for the the podcast with Christy. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, I don't regret not seeing this as a child. This is fine, actually. (laughs) Uh, I definitely did not see this as a kid. Well, it came out in 1997. I was 17 when this was out. But the first time I watched this was in the early 2000s at some point. 
because I remember at the time I thought it would be funny to watch all of the Disney sequels back to back to back. And oh, God. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> this one that was a dark period in your life. <laughs> I made it out alive. Uh, this one came right after Pooh's Grand Adventure, The Search for Christopher Robin. So that was a fun time. I don't think I've even heard of that one. That's one where Christopher Robin goes off to school and leaves a note, but because he can't spell, Pooh and his friends mistranslate school as skull and get really scared for oh, his no. safety. <laughs> Actual plot. <laughs> Is that the one where... I remember Kathy Lee Gifford for a while tried to be a singer, and I think she did a song from one of the Winnie the Pooh movies. Oh, that might be it. I just remember always watching the Disney Channel, and they would, in between shows, they would show songs or clips from upcoming movies. And that was one of the things, is showing the footage of Kathy Lee Gifford in the recording studio singing the the song for Winnie the Pooh. That's such a wild pull. <laughs> yes, this is it. I'm looking it up now. It's it's several songs. Did she do the whole soundtrack? Did she do the whole sound? She did the whole soundtrack. Wow. You know, there's all kinds of creatures in the forest of green. And they're not all that different from you and me. They have fun. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats to Kathy Lee Gifford, I guess, for achieving yeah. her dream. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for this one, uh, I've I've since put this on for my kids. It's in semi-regular rotation every couple of years or so. Uh, my wife loves Beauty and the Beast, so I think that's how I re-remember that, oh, this exists. <laughs> uh, especially now that it's on Disney Plus. So if y'all want to watch this for yourself, it's there just sitting there year round waiting for someone to stumble upon it by accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to relive the experience of watching it on VHS, I found just the opening commercials, <gasps> a video of that. It's on the Internet Archives VHS vault. So that's in the show notes. Uh, it was from a re-release in 2002. So it comes complete with coming soon to theaters. Yes. Oh, and because time is cyclical, what was coming soon to theaters in 2002 was a remake of Pinocchio. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, wow. With um Jonathan Taylor Thomas, that one? Uh, no, not that one. This is the one with uh, Roberto Benini. It's not even a Disney oh. one, but that's what they were advertising on this oh. Beauty and the Beast DVD. Oh, that's okay. Wow. And to think that we've had so many more wonderful Pinocchio remakes right. since yeah, then. I forgot about that Jonathan Taylor Thomas one. I still have to see the Polly Shore one that is out now, I think. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Gotta find an excuse. We're so spoiled for choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. Uh, but Beauty and the Beast The Enchanted Christmas was first released on November 11th, 1997, went straight to video the first project produced by Disney Animation Canada. Mm. Woo. There, there is a bit of Canadian pride knowing that we, I don't know, <laughs> made some, helped make some bad sequels to Disney movies. <laughs> it's something. It's not much, but it's something, it's something. for Canada. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's No, they, they had a good history. Uh, Disney's Canada Studios, there were two. One in Vancouver who did this special, and then there was another one in Toronto. 
Uh, they opened in 1996. Disney closed them both in 2000, but yeah. they also worked on segments for sequels to The Lion King, The Little Mermaid, and Pocahontas. And they started work on the Peter Pan sequel, Return to Neverland. But they closed before they could finish it, and then Disney handed it off to some other studio somewhere else. I think Australia is what I read. Huh. Just here, finish this so we can put it out. I forgot that Peter Pan had a sequel. That There's parts of that one that I kind of like, but... I don't the, think I saw it. You just described every Disney sequel and my opinions yeah, of them. That's, that's there are parts fair. of them that I like. Yes, that's true. End of sentence. <laughs> um, Full stop. But Disney Animation Canada also worked on two out of the three segments of Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, bringing it back home. Hmm. Oh. Uh, and I'm actually impressed that they got most of the cast from the movie back for this sequel. Yeah, I was kind of scoping out IMDb, and I think the only people who didn't make it back were the original voice of Philippe, uh, Belle's horse, and <laughs> then the original voice of Chip. But obviously, as a young boy, uh, his voice changed in between films, so they had to replace him. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So they brought in a pre-sixth sense Haley Joel Osment. Oh, wow. Mama, I found one for me. Can I open it, Mama? Can I? I can't believe they had to replace the the horse voice actor. They yeah, I'm wondering, get... now I got to think, because <laughs> I remember, like, I know that it's Hal Smith, because Hal Smith is like a go-to horse voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they replaced him because he was, let's say, very unavailable. Uh-huh. By which I mean he died. Oh, that would be that would be a heck of a thing to put on a resume. Just I'm a professional horse voicer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Chip's actually the first returning character we see in this, uh, but it's in his restored human form. He's running around the castle along with his dog that was once a footstool. This is the first Christmas we're told since Belle lifted the curse on the castle uh, and on the beast, or should I say Prince Adam, even though no one in either that movie or this ever uses that name. <laughs> but it's apparently an official retcon. Yeah, I've heard there's apparently some debate as to whether or not that's actually his name. I don't know. It's I, you got to call him something, though. You can't just keep calling him the beast. <laughs> right. And like there are so many just the prince or Prince Charming, like they already have quote unquote Prince Charming is the one from Cinderella. That's Charming with a capital C. And so the one from Snow White is just the prince. He has no name yet. Oh, yeah. So I know that there are some official Disney merchandise somewhere at some point someone pulled out Prince Adam. I don't know where that name came from, but it was in like a comic adaptation or something by Marvel, I think. And I guess Disney just decided to embrace it. I wonder if it was actually just decided for the merch. Oh, that might be it. We, we have uh, the Beast doll and we need to market the Prince doll as something, but mm, give a name. That makes a lot of sense now that you bring that up. So there's a big Christmas party at the castle. We open with a long line of people walking in, singing Deck the Halls. 
Also singing our Lumiere and Cogsworth. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Ha <laughs> there must be much, much more holly. Is the season to be where? What's this? It's too much holly. Voiced by the late, great Jerry Orbach and David Ogden Steers. Both are late, great now. But Lumiere is actually decking the hall with boughs of holly, including on the food table. <laughs> yeah, just just literally tossing it every which way. Holly berries are poisonous, dude. <laughs> but they look so pretty. They do look pretty. <laughs> Just eat around them. They'll be fine. Yeah. No, it's garnish. Fine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, there's also a new character here we've never met before who's up on a tall set of stairs putting an angel on top of a Christmas tree. We later find out her name is Angelique, and she is voiced by Bernadette Peters. <laughs> No, 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 more mistletoe. Mm-hmm. And I must ask, what is your go-to Bernadette Peters appearance? I always think of the Annie movie. Yes, that's my answer. I wish she was used more in this film. I'm sure we'll get into it as we get into more, the story more. But she is a wonderful singer and deserves to be in, in this film a lot more. Yeah, it really is. She should have had more of a song that was just her, but... We'll get to that. Bree, how about you? How do you know Bernadette Peters best? I uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I mean, if I looked up if I looked up her uh, career, I'd probably recognize stuff. But I unfortunately that I don't know any. My two go to's for her is Annie. She was Rooster's girlfriend, Lily, in that. Uh, and. In Animaniac, she's the voice of Rita, the alley cat. Oh, okay. Yep. (laughs) Those are my two. I mean, she's had a long, illustrious career on film and on stage, but those are my two. Uh, Also, we have Mrs. Potts here. Hey, Angela Lansbury's back. Yay. (laughs) Wait for those presents, dear. Who, again, was still alive when we recorded this. So pour another one out for Angela Lansbury. I was just talking about her on The First Christmas, The Story of the First Christmas Snow, a Rankin-Bass special about neither of those things. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Perfect. Love love a descriptive title. Yeah. It's redundant and is about <laughs> neither. Mrs. Potts agrees to let Chip open one present under the tree on Christmas Eve. Did either of your families ever put out presents on Christmas Eve while you were still awake? For my family, it was usually a slow buildup over the weeks leading up to Christmas. Like, obviously, Santa's gifts would come overnight, but the gifts from the family would just be put under the tree as soon as mom had them wrapped. Uh, I... I was very jealous of Chip in this moment because I always begged and pleaded with my parents to like, just let, let us open one gift early on. Just one. Some of my classmates always got to. So just like, come on, just let's just do it this year, mom and dad. And they (laughs) never agreed to it. Nope. Mine either. Well, and I mean, we don't do that to our kids either, but we don't have that expectation. And I don't think they're, they're, they have begged much yet about it, so we'll see. But I, uh, my parents, we couldn't open a present 
on on Christmas Eve, but every year they would buy us all a new set of pajamas and wrap them Ooh. for us so we could unwrap the pajamas so we could wear them to bed. I like that idea. It's really sweet. And then you get a new pair of pajamas every year. It's great. Yeah. Oh, I might have to do that now. I'm I'm in my 30s. And when I go home and stay at my parents' place for Christmas, they will still give me a pair of pajamas. pajamas. Aww. Good. Wonderful. Oh, that, that warms my heart. Yeah. Yeah. My parents always waited until after we were asleep and then just added their gifts to us to what Santa left, I guess, or before them. And then Santa's was added later. But here Chip gets to open his one. Mrs. Potts kind of gives into him. He's not really begging. He's just please. And she's like, oh, all right. <laughs> Interestingly, the ornaments on this Christmas tree include little versions of these characters, former selves <laughs> as objects. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's just to commemorate the occasion. Let's remember that time we were all cursed every Christmas. Remember those wonderful years we spent as a, a candle, a candlestick, <laughs> yes, right. and a clock, and a and a teapot. Yeah, fun times. Lumiere even remarks how it's great to see Chip enjoy a proper Christmas, not like last year. But Mrs. Potts comments she thought last year's Christmas was quite nice, and Cogsworth adds, well, I suppose I did save Christmas. Ah, but Lumiere is certain that he saved Christmas, and that argument is our segue into Mrs. Potts telling us the story of last Christmas as she remembers it. Yes, to these people who were present and should already remember this. <laughs> right. Well, there are a bunch of other people who are, like, invited to this party who are gathering around to hear this. And notably, Belle's dad, Maurice, is drawn here listening by the fireplace, so I'm sure he's keen to know what happened last year while he was still in the woods searching for his daughter because no one in the town would help him. That's where we left Maurice between the events before this story and the events after. He's in that forest looking for the castle again. Certainly. It it makes it a, a great, great to think about in the entire event of this film is this poor old man is wandering the woods, oh. lost and alone, looking for his daughter. This is a heck of a mid pull when, really? when you think about it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so our story begins with Belle engaging in that time-honored holiday tradition of being chased by hungry wolves. We don't get to see that scene again, unfortunately, but, well, wait, I just realized... That also happened in the story of the first Christmas snow that I talked about two days ago. Oh. Oh. Yeah. How many other connections are we going to make? Probably none. <laughs> What's more Christmas-like than getting chased by hungry wolves? Right. Yeah. Really, it should be in more <laughs> Christmas specials. The way God intended. <laughs> But yes, Mrs. Potts begins her story right in the middle of that first movie after the Beast saves Belle from the wolves as Lumiere, Cogsworth, Mrs. Potts, and Chip try to find a way to bring Belle and the Beast closer together. Mm -hmm. They find Belle in another section of the castle. Hi, Belle! Oh, hello! Chip, do you know what day it is? Well, it's not... Tuesday. No, silly. Today is December 24th. The day before Christmas. And uh, what a beautiful day it is. Belle is again voiced by Paige O'Hara in only her second screen appearance as Belle of many, many, and most of her resume. And it's kind of awesome. Make that Belle money, Paige O'Hara. <laughs> 
I got to see her at a convention a few years ago, and she was a very, very nice woman. It was very neat to meet her. That's awesome. I like it when they're nice. I don't get to go to a lot of conventions, but I've heard mixed stories from my friends who have gone. Yeah, I, I've i always had good luck so far with the voice actors, at least. They always seem to appreciate coming to a convention because it's really one of the few times they get to feel like celebrities. Yeah, I guess so, because they're not recognizable people, usually. No. Except by people who, like us, who know most of their careers. <laughs> And that's that's where they go to meet us. So Bell asks Chip, do you know what today is? And he has no idea. But before Bell can get out that it's Christmas Eve, Lumiere is very quick to interrupt with, oh, yes, it's a very beautiful day. That's what. Hey, let's go outside. And I was expecting Bell to question this, like what the kid doesn't even know. It's Christmas Eve. What's wrong with y'all? But yeah. she seems to give a knowing look at the others and lets them sort of lead the way. So she gets a pair of ice skates that are hanging from an enchanted coat hook who's taking a nap. This is our first new character that's a cursed servant turned into an object. He's only in this, like, five-second bit, but unlike the others, this poor guy's nailed to the wall. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, no. They really didn't need to have that be an enchanted person. They could have just had a normal <laughs> rack. Right. <laughs> Because they have the other coat hook thing, like a coat hanger on the the tall one that has a hat. It's a it's a hat hook, I guess. Yeah, he plays the violin in the first film. Right. And here he gives Belle her coat. I I mean, I guess there's a couple like there's there's the um, the chef down in the kitchen who's he's not bolted to the wall, but he's too big to go anywhere. So I guess there are some others that are sort of just stuck where they are. As well yeah, as but, another character in this film that we. Oh, will yes, to. we will. Uh, <laughs> this is a really specific curse that this enchantress has cooked up. But yeah, because at the end of the original movie, when it's broken, we see all those objects turn back into humans. They aren't objects that already existed and their souls or whatever leave these containers. These are people physically turned into random things. And this poor coat hook guy is stuck as a wall ornament. <laughs> <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> but Bell steps outside, sees the beast, calls out a friendly good morning, causing him to lose his balance and slip on an icy patch. I warned y'all. Oh, dear. Are you all right? Uh, uh, I fell and I landed on my... on, on the ice. The Beast is voiced here and everywhere else by Robbie Benson, who before this was probably best known from a couple of romantic sports movies in the 70s, a basketball one called One on One, which he co-wrote with his father, and a figure skating one called Ice Castles. Oh, interesting. I, I know him best, aside from Beauty and the Beast, as Prince Alexander in the King's Quest uh, series. Oh, wow. I forgot about those. <laughs> I had I didn't have any of the King's Quest games until much later, but they're made by Sierra Games and they made an adaptation of Disney's The Black Cauldron. Oh, yes. So I played that, but it's like an easy mode sort of version of King's Quest where you're like using the function keys. But mm. I played a lot of that game. 
I, I never got to play. I didn't play King's Quest, but I did play one of the space quests. Okay. Also by Sierra, I think. Yeah. With Roger Wilco. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sierra had a very specific visual style to them. And like a lot of those games were really beautiful for only using 16 colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Robbie Benson, uh, he's basking in those beast paychecks as well. And here he's lying on the ice, very embarrassed. But Bell's not phased by him at all, happily skating all around the frozen pond, inviting the beast to join her. And he does slowly and awkwardly. But they seem to be having a good time from a distance. And it's from that distance that we (laughs) then pan out to up the castle walls and into the gloomy, forbidden west wing of the castle that is now revealed to be the home of our villain of the special, Forte the Pipe Organ. And finally, I get to talk about Tim Curry. Yeah! Oh, come along. It's merely an opera. To bring the house down. (laughs) Is this the first time that you've been able to talk about Tim Curry on the podcast? Or just this season? (gasps) No, this is Tim Curry's first appearance on the podcast. I think he came up in passing on an episode about Batman the Animated Series. But he wasn't in that episode. So this this is my first delve into Tim Curry because I'm not really doing movies, so I'm not going to get to Home Alone 2. <laughs> oh, that's true. Was he in Home Alone 2? I don't think I saw Home Alone 2. Oh, oh, what? my goodness. See Home Alone 2. <laughs> oh, my God. How? Tim Curry's like a big part of Home Alone 2. I, I think I only saw... I never saw the first Home Alone as a kid. I think I saw it like as an adult wow. years ago. And I was like, this is fine. I, I But I have no like, nostalgic attachment to it. So no, just, I'm like, but... this is fine. And then I never saw the sequels. Okay. Well, no, of course not. If, you, if, that, <laughs> if you're coming into them as an adult. But Home Alone 2 has Tim Curry. He's a pretty big part of it. And he's fantastic in everything ever. But <laughs> Fair. Including including Annie. He was also in that. He was in Annie with Bernadette Peters. He was they were the couple in that. They don't have any scenes together in this, but I think this is the first thing they were in together since that Annie movie. Oh, okay. So then Brie, what's your Tim Curry go to? See, uh, and I was trying to think, I'm like, what was the first thing that I can remember seeing with Tim Curry in it? And it's probably Fern Gully. Wow. <laughs> Probably him as Texas uh, in uh, in Fern Gully. <laughs> there are some scenes coming up later that kind of reminded me of Hexus. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my real answer is Clue. Oh, oh yes. yes. Um, but my favorite answer that I like to give out to this: Have you ever seen the movie Legend with Tom Cruise? <gasps> yes, yes, I yes. saw that like one time. <laughs> I think, and I I meant to rewatch it because all I can remember is thinking, God, his head, that head horn piece looks so heavy. Oh, yeah. yeah. How does he stand up? <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, remember that, the plot of that film. I just remember thinking, how, how? I still don't know the plot of that film. <laughs> it's just Ridley Scott makes a fantasy movie. That's the plot. Nah. And Tom Cruise is here and Tim Curry is here as basically the devil. (laughs) Yeah, you know, 
Uh, but he, oh, he's great here. He's great in that. He's the Beast's disgruntled pipe organ, Forte, who is also stuck to the wall. Bolted to the wall. Bolted to the wall. I'm bolted to the wall! Uh, and unlike most of this special, he is completely 3D animated. Yeah. Which is a striking departure from everything else in this. It, it does kind of work in a way in that it makes him a little more unnerving. Just something's a little, just a little off about him. Yeah. Oh no. It's just, it's unnerving. They, they managed to, like, I don't know if his eyes have a texture, but they're, they're just sort of these black, blacked out, no eyeball visible voids in the Ooh. CG model. And it's, it's, it's great. Yeah, they're just part of the carving of this of this pipe organ. And it's just, oh, it's such a great design. It's so striking compared to everything else, but it works. <laughs> and accompanying and sucking up to Forte is his number one fan and only companion, a piccolo named Fife, very obviously voiced by Paul Rubens. Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine a talking piccolo with Pee Wee Herman's voice cranked up a little higher like they do with the Smurfs, and that's Fife. Yeah. Bravo! Bravo! Encore! <laughs> Fife, you approve? Oh, maestro, it's magnificent! And his name is Fife, even though he's clearly a piccolo. <laughs> don't, don't think about it. I thought a Fife was an object. Or a Fife... Two different instruments. Really? Yeah, no, the Fife doesn't have those keys like this character does. Huh. Well, because a piccolo is like a small flute, but he's got the little right. things that go, oh my god. Right, those Weird. are, yeah, they're called keys, I think, and that's, a piccolo has those, or at least some of them do. A Fife, I think, doesn't, according to what I've read on the internet. <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a music nerd. I wish, but... From what I could gather, two different instruments, but oh, close yeah. enough. Maybe the Enchantress just had a weird sense of humor. Maybe. Maybe that's it. You see him playing a fife at the end, so maybe it's just his parents were musicians and they decided to be cute. And here, learn the piccolo. It's close enough. <laughs> but... Forte is too far away from the window, so he sends Fife to go look and see what those noises of merriment he heard were. Because how dare he hear people being happy? His whole thing is just that he wants the beast to be sad. Because if the beast is sad, then he'll always want to listen to his sad music. Right. <laughs> Which is just a wonderful motivation. I love it. Misery loves company. <laughs> yeah, Forte claims before the enchantment, no one needed his particular brand of genius, but now the beast needs his melodies to feed his tormented soul. So here, Forte was the prince's court composer, and I guess he was like the guy in high school who got really into emo and claimed no one could understand his pain. Yeah. But of course, the Beast could understand his pain, and Forte is in no hurry to have his master start falling in love and feeling happy feelings. Might make him start playing happy music and... Ugh. Yeah, ugh. so in true tortured poet fashion, Forte orders Fife to see to it that this blossoming love withers on the vine. 
So outside, Fife goes to do something, and that something is apparently dropping onto the ice, pulling the beast's cape, and causing him and Belle to wipe out into the snow. But this is a cartoon, so dropping onto the ice becomes sliding down a railing, flying into a frozen fountain, sailing over the pond, and then dropping onto the ice. Of course, you need some you need some shenanigans in there. Yeah, you yeah. need action. Yeah. And you'd need Paul Rubens to yell a lot. Yeah. That's what you hire him for. <laughs> but Belle, again, isn't phased by all that crashing into the snow and immediately begins to make a snow angel. But when the beast gets up next to her, all he sees is a big snowy outline of his beastly self. Yeah. Which you didn't do it right, beast. You're supposed to wave your arms and legs. No, it's very. It's just the shadow of a monster. (laughs) (laughs) That he angrily punches the snow before he storms (laughs) off. (laughs) Take that, snow. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, so Fife sees that as a job well done. So, and sure (laughs) enough, we cut back to the West Wing to the beast yelling at his magic rose that he hates Christmas. I hate Christmas. And confirming to Forte that his music is the only thing that helps him forget. Which is this, is this like a thing when you're sad, do you go and listen to sad music to keep being sad? I mean, I'm I, sure a lot of people do, but. Yeah, I I don't, but I know I have heard people say such things. I don't get it, but, you know, however you want to deal with your sadness. Sure. Yeah. Whenever I need a pick me up, I go and blast some power metal and it. <laughs> There's a lot for my news. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. Very therapeutic. Do it all the time. Meanwhile, Bell's walking with Chip, asking why the beast's always such a grump. Oh, I don't know. Is it because he got turned into a beast? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. What a mystery. Oh, if only we knew. <laughs> <laughs> But Chip explains he's always like that, and when Belle asks, even at Christmas, no one's around this time to change the subject, so now Chip asks, what's Christmas? And here we go! Oh, Chip, you must know about Christmas. Stockings in front of the fire, tree... Belle's first two Christmas things that she lists are stockings in front of the fire and the word tree. Just, you know, a tree. Just... Tree? Imagine not knowing about Christmas and someone replies, you know, tree? You just nail some socks in front of the fire like you're trying to dry them after the wash and a tree. And also there's a tree. There's a tree there. This would be the most alien thing to try and explain to somebody. Yeah. We eventually get to presents and of course that gets Chip's attention. Presents? Do I get one? Of course, everyone gets a present on Christmas. Oh, even the master? Yes, even the master. And then Chip asks what Belle's going to get the master, and her answer is that she doesn't know. She doesn't know him well enough. So Chip asks what Belle would want for Christmas, and of course, her answer is books. Yeah, this is a classic mistake that I have made many a times, is getting (laughs) someone a gift that you yourself would want. Not something that they would actually want. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like you have an example. 
I, you know what? I think I do this every single year <laughs> and I don't know what it is. I just, I see something and I think, oh, they'll love that. And then it's not until they are opening the gift on Christmas that I see the confusion in their face and I go, oh, oh, okay, right. Never mind. The bad choice. Oops, oh. I accidentally got you something I wanted for myself. Yeah. I've done that more than once. I can't think of any examples, but. I'm always, I'm just, I find Christmas gift getting. So I'm just like, please just give me a list. Please yes. tell me what you want. I'm begging you. Embrace gift cards. We're there, people. Right. Yeah. Or like bring back the olden days of when we were kids and we would get the the Toys R Us magazine and you yeah. go there and you would circle what you want. Uh, right. I was reminiscing earlier. Well, because I was thinking about Christmas watching this film. I'm like, man. One of the things that I remember from Christmas was we would go to my grandparents' place. And my parents didn't get the Sears catalog, but my grandparents did. And it was just me and my brothers pouring over the back section that was all the toys. Flipping through the wish book. Yeah, that's oh. right. You had to get halfway through because the first, like, 300 pages were just clothes and yeah. refrigerators <sighs> and things. But you got there like there was a stark contrast, like all the like the last few sections of the jackets or whatever all had these like dark backgrounds and just like here I am in my uh, completely wooden decorated office and now just white pages with toys. Yeah. Oh, I remember at times making maps of the store for my mother. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dead short. This is where to find the toy that I want. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> That's how I go grocery shopping now. <laughs> you got to make sure that that mom knows exactly where to go. Yes. At Christmas yes. and knows exactly which one to find. That's super helpful. Exactly. Or else she might get the wrong one. And then you have to open it on Christmas and be like, this isn't the one I wanted. Oh, no, exactly. you don't want that to happen. You know, no, that, I'm sure your mom found that extremely helpful. <laughs> I, I think so. Sometimes I <laughs> wish that I, I could still do that for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill would want books and Chip suggests, why don't you give the beast a story? And here I'm thinking Belle's going to pull out a book she happens to have with her to give as a gift. But no, she takes out some paper because she's going to write him a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not just write, but also professionally bind a book for him. And and like illuminate the pages, basically. Yeah, <laughs> like and illustrate them. This is a picture book she's making. If that's not talented enough for you, she sings an original song while doing so. I'll read him stories from picture books all filled with wonder. Magic worlds where the impossible becomes the everyday. We'll find a mountaintop and some moonbeams to sit under. I'll lead because I know the and we, we should also mention, too, this entire movie takes place over the course of a single day. So Belle, Belle's an early riser, and she's getting up early, and she's getting stuff done. Calligraphy she, at the yeah. speed of light. It's yeah. not even lunchtime. She finishes this whole book by the time the song's over. Yeah. And I, I got to point out one line in this this song that made me laugh is she sings about stories about heroes who overcome their deepest sorrows and as she sings 
an image of Icarus yeah. that flies into the sun. <laughs> I have that note. <laughs> Bell, that's not. <laughs> I don't know if you're. You overcome that. No. Bell, did you read it? I'm afraid I have some bad news about the end of that story, Bell. Maybe yeah, I only got halfway read. through that one. I, I, yeah, that's not the one that she's finished twice. <laughs> oh. Also notably during this sequence, we see both a mermaid and Belle and the Beast flying on a magic carpet, referencing both of the original movie's bookends. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But this is a thick illustrated storybook, and I think I counted two and a half minutes this song. Yeah. Which I understand it's a montage, but still... It seems like she's finished this before lunchtime. I think she just wrote really big. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> 20 point, whatever font she's maybe, using, her calligraphy. Maybe the, the, the paper and the pen are also enchanted objects. They just Ooh, wrote themselves. That's oh, it. She's taking itself. the credit. <laughs> well, the, the idea is all coming from her. She's just getting some help. She's yeah. outsourcing. Yeah. Yeah. But... I don't know. It took me days to write these notes for this podcast. So well done, <laughs> Bill. Super impressed. Well, now Chip is so excited about Christmas until we cut to Cogsworth shutting that idea down hard. Absolutely not. <laughs> to the disappointment of, and this is my favorite stupid pun of this special, a set of wine glasses going, oh, why not? <sighs> They're wine glasses. <laughs> well, they, and, and, and Cogsworth makes the pun to make sure it's super clear. <laughs> but these appear to be the glasses we see dancing during Be Our Guest. But now they have physical mouths and no other facial features. Yeah. Just whining, ah, not fair. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what an existence. <laughs> but. I, it's always one of those things. It's like, how many of these things are sentient enchanted objects? And how many of them are just enchanted objects that do things? Right. And I was content to think that most of the wine glasses and Be Our Guest were just like objects that were following Lumiere's cues yeah. and doing a big dance sequence. And I was like, no, these they can think. They have right. mouths to scream with. And no eyes. Just <laughs> and, terrifying. No eyes, mouths, ears, nope. but I guess they can hear somehow. Don't worry about so. it. Yeah, no. <laughs> Enchanted. A wizard did it. An enchantress did it. <laughs> uh, and here Cogsworth comes out with it that the beast has forbidden Christmas. And Belle scoffs at that idea because no one can forbid Christmas. Uh, and she thinks just a little holiday cheer would do the beast some good. And it takes some convincing, but Lumiere and Mrs. Potts and the others finally change Cogsworth's mind by talking about all the food they're going to have at a Christmas feast. Which makes it very confusing, because are we now bringing in the idea that these enchanted objects, do they need to eat food? Do they just like to eat food? Where does the food go? Hey, yeah. Oh, I didn't <laughs> even go. Wow. <laughs> are those wine glasses going to be eating with their mouths that are transparent? Uh, I, oh. Questions don't, with don't. no answers. Nope. Yeah, that's why they cut that scene. No. <laughs> I do understand, though, like Cogsworth, it's, the food is one of the best parts of, of 
of Christmas celebrations. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. The quickest way to anyone's heart is through their stomach. Yeah. Uh, We're like clockwork that way. Ah. (gasps) (laughs) Not sorry. (laughs) But before we move on, Belle comments that they need to brighten up the place, and Lumiere replies he knows someone who can help with that. And we then cut to them climbing the spiral stairs up the tallest tower in the castle, along with Chip, who is counting 1,001... 1,002, 1,003. And I call shenanigans. (laughs) Because I'm a nerd, I pause to do some math. Uh Uh-huh. Lay it on us, Mike. (laughs) So let's say every step is six inches high. They're usually higher, or so I've read, at least seven inches, but six makes the math easier. And a thousand-step staircase would be 500 feet high. That's a tall tower. (laughs) So then I was like, where's the tallest castle in the world? And Guinness World Records lists the tallest castle in the world at 213 feet tall. Oh, wow. Double the height. I don't think Chip actually counted a thousand stairs. I think he just started counting at a thousand sarcastically because it's a long way up. But they make it to the top of the tower, which is being used as a very large storage attic. Where we meet Angelique. We saw her at the beginning as a human, and here she has been transformed into the angel she was putting on top of the Christmas tree in the future. Oh, Lumia, finally. I thought we were to be locked away in this dusty attic forever. Yeah, and apparently she has presumably just been locked away in this tower with the other Christmas decorations because the beast can't stand to be reminded of Christmas. So this poor woman has stayed in this tower for God knows how long all by herself. Uh, Yeah. If you take the 10 years line and be our guest as canon, then yeah, it's been a decade. Yeah. We'll get to more about that line in a little bit, but yeah, she's been uh, stuck here in the attic along with a bunch of ornaments also with no facial features, but they can move on their own. So I think we file those under enchanted, but maybe not alive. I, I guess so. Yeah. Shrug. Yeah. I don't know. All of the other (laughs) ornaments, all the other ornaments are in only three colors, gold, green, and purple, which wait, those are Mardi Gras colors. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a theme, but with two exceptions, there's one ornament shaped like a tree and one shaped like a candy cane. That's it. The rest are just colored baubles. And Lumiere, well, he goes full-on Pepe Le Pew on Angelique here. Ah, Angelique, mon amour. Mm-hmm. Your eyes are still so lovely after all these years. Mm-hmm. Lumiere, please, you'll tarnish the halo. Yeah. Like, he's not even Lumiere anymore in this second. He has devolved into a Pepe Le Pew impression, complete with the kissing. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Which I, I kind of take offense to, because I thought Lumiere's sweetheart was the uh, the feather duster. Yeah, where is she? Yeah. What the heck, Lumiere? She's in this, too, only for like a hot second during a song later. she We see her, and it's basically a cameo. It's like, oh, yeah, remember that feather duster? Remember Fifi the feather duster? She's here, too. She hasn't left. Here's the thing about Fifi the feather duster. Disney can't keep her name straight. <laughs> 
<laughs> no one can agree on her name. So in the in the credits of the original movie, she's just a feather duster. And there's another sequel after this special called Belle's Magical World. And th in there, she is called Fifi. But then in the stage musical, her name's Babette. And in the remake they made in 2017, her name is Plumette. Huh. So Disney doesn't care enough to give this feather duster a consistent name. So I guess Lumiere doesn't either. Dang. <laughs> She gets one line in the song coming up, and that's it. So now Lumiere's undivided attention is on Angelique, who was once the castle decorator. So, of course, Lumiere has come to ask her to decorate the castle for Christmas. But, of course, she's been locked up in this attic because of her job for 10 years. So she says, no way. She's not going to get her hope for Christmas anymore and will not be disappointed again. Mm -hmm. Which does make it kind of funny that they've come all this way to get her help with the decorating and she spends the rest of the film refusing to help with the decorating. Right. <laughs> She's like, you guys left me up here for a decade. <laughs> no, I'm not helping you. <laughs> Absolutely not. I will not be disappointed again, she says. And in Disney movies, there's only one thing to do in times like these. Sing. Uh, of course. And it's Belle who sings As Long As There's Christmas. And if you're going to put any song from this on your holiday playlist, it's probably this one. As long as there's Christmas, I truly believe that hope is the greatest of the gifts we'll receive. As long as there's Christmas, We'll all be just fine A star shines above us Lighting your way and mine I think it's the only one that I, I, I re-watched this earlier today and I think it's the only one with the melody that I can actually, like, hear in my head. So yeah, it's probably this one. Yeah. Yeah. Starts very solemnly and then everyone starts decorating the Great Hall and it really gets going. They make a tree-like structure out of plates and bowls and utensils, hang ornaments from it, and an enchanted flying ribbon carries Angelique to the top of it, and she's still... It's a fun visual of this intricately built tableware tree with an angel hanging from the top of it with a grumpy face like... <laughs> her, her, demanding to be, her demanding to be put down the entire time as well. Yeah, well... <laughs> And then it topples over off camera. Oh, yeah. All of the enchanted objects were like, are they gone? <laughs> right. Just like go back to our drawers, maybe? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Time to, yeah, we're, we're done here. We can go. But no matter, everyone gets back to work decorating. Meanwhile, Fife has been following them this whole time, and he overhears Cogsworth remind everyone, don't let the master find out what we're doing. So that's Fife's cue to do exactly that. And we cut to Forte telling the Beast that Belle's trying to bring Christmas back to the castle, which the Beast angrily remembers as the day his life ended. And it's flashback time where we learn oh. the beast was visited by the enchantress who turned him into a beast on Christmas. <laughs> the lore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got lore now. 
Which this is such a, I feel like this is such an unnecessary thing. Having to add in this, oh, it was on Christmas that he became a beast. Because I feel like, I don't know, Christmas can just be a hard time of year for a lot of folks. You know, it's this. Right. And it is. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's a holiday all about family and togetherness. And if you're in a position where you can't do that or be that with your family, it's very hard. So you just the fact that the beast is trapped in this beastly form and he's cursed to kind of like stay away from society and he can't interact with people like that's reason enough to find Christmas hard. Sure. But no, they have to incorporate it into the backstory now. And the prince in this flashback is notably younger than I was expecting. I was trying to figure that out because in the original film, he has very distinct visual appearance. I would dare say hunky. I'm on <laughs> I'm on team hunky human prince, if you need to know. You're not wrong. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I got your back. Thank you. Um, but yeah, like he I was trying to figure that out if it was a matter of they're trying to deliberately draw him younger or if he was maybe just a little too hard to draw in his full hunky form and they had to simplify him. I think they realized that they kind of wrote themselves into a corner with some of the plot details in the original. So now they're going back to this one and kind of drawing him notably younger. He's got a whinier, higher pitched voice that he does at the end of the movie. Yeah, because he's also at the end of the movie and you see him and he looks appropriately aged. So, right. I think he is meant to be like he he feels like a spoiled teenager. Yeah. Well, and there's there's been that arguments yeah. surrounding and you guys have talked about it on your show, but uh, mm-hmm. it's really it's three key details from the first movie. First, we're told the rose that acts like a timer for the beast to break his curse blooms on his 21st birthday. And we're already seeing it start to wilt when we first see that rose. So he's already 21, at least. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long a magic rose would take to completely wilt. A regular rose can last up to a week without water, which, hey, <laughs> dummy, why don't you put the rose in water? Oh. Maybe buy yourself some time. Well, oh. it floats. So maybe he's oh, tried floats. and it just like floated back up out <laughs> of the water. Right back up, like a straw. <laughs> oh, uh, but secondly... We see that portrait of the prince th- that he's ripped claw marks through. And that's the hunky picture that you were talking about. Yeah. And he appears to be a grown adult in that. So is that like some Dorian Gray portrait he's got? <laughs> oh, maybe. Maybe it's aging along with him and showing him like, this is what you could look like. This, oh, could, this is how hunky oh, you could be. Oh, what you've if lost. Only, <laughs> if only you weren't such a jerk. That's why the West Wing's forbidden. I've got I've got that hunky portrait of him. Uh, I like to do prop replicas, so I've actually got that hunky portrait of him hanging oh, above wow. my computer desk here. There's a restaurant. They have the Be Our Guest restaurant at the Magic Kingdom, and it's several rooms. Like, you have the main Great Hall room, but there's a room off to the side that's a West Wing-themed room, Ooh. and that picture with the claw marks is in that room. Nice. I haven't eaten in that particular room yet, but I kind of want to go back. I don't know. That's, that's. I mean, you're going there. That's an expensive meal, but it's worth it to go once. Mm-hmm. 
And just to see that hunky portrait in person. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and can confirm the gray stuff is delicious. Ooh. What is it? It's like a like a moose. Oh, OK. Yeah. Nice. And they put little candy beads on top of it. Ooh. But the third detail, during Be Our Guest, Lumiere says it's been 10 years since they've had a guest at the castle. So the question has become, was the prince 11 years old when he became a beast? And this special seems to support that maybe he sure acts like 11 here. Well, maybe he's like 13 or 14 and, and Lumiere's just rounding up. <laughs> it's, like, it's only Could been be. like yeah. seven or eight years, but like that doesn't sound as good. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, I think it was the the new movie, the remake in 2017, when it's uh, Ewan McGregor. They changed that lyric to instead of 10 years, he just says too long. Mm -hmm. Just like, nope, we're not playing this game anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Disney is done. I'm talking about it, everyone. We're tired of you all. <laughs> you backed us into a corner there. We already have to call this guy unofficially Prince Adam. We're not playing any more of your games. <laughs> We're not giving you more fuel for, for picking apart this movie. Absolutely not. <laughs> but the prince in this flashback is a bratty little jerk who shouts, Give me my presents! Bring me my presents! And Lumiere, on behalf of everyone, gives his master the gift of a storybook. A storybook? You call this a present? Isn't one of the big things about the main, like, the original movie that um, he's got a big library full of books. <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't even think of that. We're going to get back to that little fact a bit later, but uh, for now, we also see human forte here in this oh flashback. Oh, my God. Look, oh, he looks like a skeleton in a powdered wig. He's terrifying. I love him. <laughs> so good. <laughs> but, like, his powdered wig kind of looks like the way the organ pipes are shaped around his face oh, yeah, in his yeah. pipe organ design, it's really well done. And his and his cuffs look like uh, the keyboard. Yeah. His design is incredible. It's just, it's so <laughs> contrasting with literally every other character. He's just this like oh, terrifying yeah. skeleton man yeah. in, a, in a powdered wig. This You're like, oh, I wonder who's... Who's the villain in this room? <laughs> <laughs> right? This big, bright, colorful Great Hall. And here's big, tall, gloomy, grayscale skeleton man in the back. <laughs> Voiced by Tim Curry. Yeah. Voiced by Tim Curry. <laughs> playing one of his own special pipe organ pieces. And the prince hates it because it's gloomy. What is that? A, a small piece in your honor, master. Ugh. I hate it. Forte, that stuff is gloomy. And here is where the Enchantress knocks on the door in disguise as an old woman looking for a place to stay the night in exchange for a rose. And this is the first time I noticed, hey, the prince is not so spoiled that he can't open his front door himself. I was gonna say. Yeah. I'm very surprised he didn't make someone else go get the door, but I guess he wanted to see who dares disturb my Christmas. Please... Take this rose in exchange for shelter from the bitter cold. I don't need a rose. Go away, you wretched old hag. You 
have been deceived by your own cold heart. A curse upon your house and all within it. Uh, the Enchantress here is voiced by Kath Susie. It's been a while. Last time I talked about her on the podcast was for Hey Arnold. She was Helga's mom. Oh, okay. wow. Uh, she's probably best known, at least in my head, as Phil and Lil from Rugrats. Yes, oh! exactly. Yeah. And Betty, for that matter, their mom. Wow. It has been a long time since I've seen either Rugrats or Hey Arnold, but I can still, I think, hear those voices in my head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, she has a very like she uses that's those same baby voices for a lot of different young characters. But yeah, no wonder the beast hates Christmas. To be fair, like, yeah, this you're just trying to chill out on Christmas. You didn't get the gift you wanted. You got someone interrupting at your door. I could see being a little grouchy. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Could he have been a little kinder to a stranger on Christmas looking for a place to go? Yes, obviously. But she kind of overreacted, let's say. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and by pun- like, you know, punish the beast. Sure. But why punish the rest of the castle inhabitants? Right. Yeah. And all your little friends, too. Yeah. If I can't stay, no one can be human. I don't know. I guess that's why he had to answer the door himself or or else it would have been like one of the nice people who worked at the castle. And they would have yeah. let her in and then it would have been the movie wouldn't have happened. So, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Maybe Lumiere would have tried to hit on her and then she would have had to curse them anyways. <laughs> nope. A curse upon you and no one else. Don't go away. We'll be right back. If you could capture the magic of the holidays, if you could put the spirit of the season in a box, this is what you might find inside. Timeless classic videos from Disney. Videos with all the magic and hope of beauty and the beast, the enchanted Christmas. Merry Christmas. With all the fun of the Jungle Book. With the friendship of Winnie the Pooh and the adventures of Sleeping Beauty. All from Disney for this one holiday season. Give the magic of Disney to the ones you love. And now, back to the show, right here on Disney. And now the Beast wants to know where Belle is, and Forte says he believes she's gone to the boiler room. Okay, and that is indeed where we find Belle, along with a big anthropomorphic boiler. Terrified. Yeah, but regrettably, he doesn't have any lines. I thought we were going to get like a creepy Home Alone boiler. Oh, yeah. Or this design reminded me of the air conditioner from the Brave Little Toaster. Oh, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, that brought back a traumatic memory for Brie. I'm sorry. Well, I mean... That part scared me so much as a kid. Oh, it was terrifying. That that whole movie. And that's where I thought this boiler room scene was going. But no, it's kind of it's it's pretty tame. But even more regrettably, Belle's interaction here is with an axe performed by Jeff Bennett doing a stereotypical Jewish voice. Yep. So what can I do you for, lady? I'm looking for a log. All right. Logs we got. What do you want? Hardwood, softwood. We got it all. We got birch, maple, pine, oak, toy, concrete. My head. Don't worry, it'll pass. I think the last time I mentioned Jeff Bennett, it was talking about Johnny Bravo. He's the voice of Johnny Bravo. Yeah. Oh. 
He's been in a lot. He's another one of those voice acting guys that is just you you throw a stick and you'll hit Jeff Bennett. Yep. <laughs> well, and here he's an axe. Oh, yeah. Surrounded by logs. <laughs> and Belle's in the boiler room looking for a log, a nice cylindrical Yule log. And the axe tells her to help herself. And then the beast enters angrily looking for Belle, who explains how the Yule log works. Everyone in the house touches the log and makes a Christmas wish. And confession time, I did not grow up in a house that did any special Yule Log anything. Oh, no. So this was news to me the first time I watched this. Yeah, same here. I, I've i heard of Yule Logs, didn't know the whole story behind it. Um, although, fun, fun thing is that last year for Christmas, uh, my stepdad got my mother a KFC-scented Yule Log. Uh, <laughs> I've well, heard about those. Yeah. yeah. We haven't used it yet because we're all a little terrified to crack it open. <laughs> oh, no. So it's just sitting there by their fireplace. Oh, now it's not only is it going to smell like fried chicken, it's going to smell like year old fried mm, chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no, I, we also, like, I, I had heard the term Yule Log, but had no concept of what that actually was at any point. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but of course, the beast, still acting like an 11 year old after all these years, takes the log and mutters, wishes are stupid. <laughs> yeah, his writing uh, for the dialogue in this one's a little, <laughs> n- not, not really for the adults. No, no, but they did the best they could with it. Like the the cast all knocked it out of the park as best as they could. Oh, oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Cast's doing great, but like, there's only so much you can do with wishes are stupid. Wishes are stupid. This is the shadow of a monster. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he adds, if you made a Christmas wish last year, is this what you wished for? Gesturing at all of this. Mm Mm-hmm. And he insists there will be no Christmas in his castle, saying Belle has no idea what it's like to lose everything. He says that to Belle, you know, his prisoner. (laughs) Beast, why? Not an ounce of self-awareness. No. No, To be found. Yes, all men. Probably. (laughs) This is probably my most hated scene in this movie, because... I I love the original Beauty and the Beast and the Beast character in that he's done so well. Where even though he spends you know a chunk of the movie acting like a jerk to Belle, they win you over and and he he's so sympathetic and you want to see him succeed and see him and Belle fall in love. But in this film, he's just so whiny and just such a jerk to her that it's just I oh, just why yeah we're. We're not over that hump yet, I guess. And that, I guess, is telling the story of when that something changed. Yeah. But well, and, I don't and know. Also with Belle, how she spends the first movie and she's like, I'm I you got to be nice to me. Like, yeah, you got to win me back here. And in this, she's like, I just want to make him happy. Yeah, right. You're not here to be his life coach, Belle. He's imprisoned you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she points that out to him, defiantly saying she will continue wishing and won't give up hope. Hope for I don't know what, but she leaves the beast by himself in the boiler room to think about what he's done. 
And we cut to Bell's room, admittedly the nicest bedroom I've ever seen given to a prisoner, where Chip shows up, still excited about Christmas, but Bell breaks the bad news that the Beast has forbidden it. But Chip reminds her, I thought you couldn't forbid Christmas. And here Bell remembers, hey, yeah, that's right, and she's back on board. With Chip telling her the only thing they're missing now is a tree. So out they go, first making a stop into the Forbidden West Wing to drop off her gift-wrapped homemade storybook next to the magic rose before the beast can see her. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. (laughs) She's not supposed to be in there. (laughs) Well, she sneaks in there. That's why she hides behind the door. And then sneaks back out with Chip and his footstool dog, who's apparently named Sultan in this. Mm -hmm. Oh. Never got a name in the original, but of course it's Frank Welker making barking noises. Yeah, and he was also, uh, to go back a bit, he was also, I'm pretty sure, the growl when the prince transformed into the beast. Oh, probably. It just sounded very Frank Welkery. Yeah. He, he's good at the dog voices, but he's not a horse voice guy. I mean, he can be. They just... Hal Smith was still alive, so I guess he was the go-to horse guy. And then Frank Welker sort of, well, I can do horses too, sure. I think he is the uh, the voice of Philippe in this. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. We'll see Philippe a little bit later. For now, the first tree they come across is literally a tiny little Charlie Brown tree. Yeah. Nah, too skinny. I can't help would feel like Belle and Chip end up rejecting this one, but I can't help but feel that Belle would make do with this sad little tree. She's not about appearances. She seems like she wanted to. Um, And if it's not obvious enough what they're doing with the look of this tree, Chip imagines a single red ornament hanging from it, weighing it down. This is not too skinny and moves on. Meanwhile, the Beast is now watching them from a window in the West Wing as we hear thunder, even though we don't see any lightning or whatever. But that was just for the mood. Lumiere hops in now to try and get him to think romantic thoughts. And here is where the Beast notices there's a present on his table. But he slams it down and walks away. But Lumiere reads the tag on the gift and says, Oh, it's for you, Master. It's from a girl. Mrs. Potts? Yeah, why is that? Why is that your first thought? (laughs) I laughed harder at that than at the wine glasses. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, it's from Belle. Well, now he's got a smile on his face, but Lumiere tells him, hey, you can't open that yet. You have to wait until Christmas morning. And he stops. I, you... I don't if I if I was the prince again, we I mean, we we talked about this earlier. I always wanted to open a gift on Christmas Eve. (laughs) I would have just opened that gift then and there. Sure. And after all this time with him having this, I'll do what I want attitude. The beast only stops himself from opening it before Christmas because it's from Belle. And Lumiere explains, look, we all know how you feel about Christmas. But when a woman gives a man a gift, she's saying, I care about you specifically says when a woman gives a man a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Any other sort of permutation of gift giving, who knows what it could mean, but. (laughs) Yeah. That that one's cut and dry, though. No, yeah. When a man gives a woman a gift, half the time, like, dudes are like, you owe me. (laughs) If I can raise my son to give gifts and not expect something in return, I will have done okay. Yeah. 
He's eight, so we've got some time. <laughs> got a couple years left. Yeah, okay. just just show him the original Beauty and the Beast, and if if he doesn't get the message, then he'll turn into a monster. <laughs> don't do don't do what Donnie don't does. <laughs> but thankfully, here the Beast's first thought is, "Oh no, I don't have a gift for Belle." But Lumiere assures him it's not too late. So off the Beast rushes to talk to Forte saying he wants him to compose a song as a present for Belle and make it happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And of course, Forte, ever the emo boy, hates the idea. Forte, known composer of incredibly joyous music. (laughs) Right. Admits to Fife they can't stop Christmas, but he can stop the girl who is out looking for a tree still and starts to chop down the least flimsy one she can find on the castle grounds. With the talking axe, uh, when suddenly she hears beautiful organ music coming from the castle. What is that? Accompanied by a single high-pitched squeal from Fife that only the footstool dog can hear, sending him running back up to the castle. So Belle is now following Sultan the footstool to the sound (laughs) of the organ and finds Forte. Well, first they find Fife. And Belle asks if he was behind that beautiful music because she doesn't know too much about music either, I guess. But a fife could sound like an organ, right? Sure. Uh, But that's short charms fife. But Forte introduces himself, putting on a happy face or the closest thing that resembles it. uh, And his endearing Tim Curry charm tells Belle and Chip that if they're going to plan a Christmas gala, They'll have to have everything. And he rattles off a list of trimmings, trappings, etc. before ending with a tree. And of course, they don't have one of those yet. So Forte suggests going into the neighboring black forest. I don't understand how Belle falls for this, because isn't that the place where literally she got attacked by wolves before? That's where the wolves are. That's literally where the wolves are, Belle. You've already (laughs) seen the wolves. Yeah, and isn't this like a couple days after that? Like, come on, Belle. Yeah. And that's not her hang-up. Her hang-up is that she promised not to leave the castle again. <laughs> not, but there are wolves there. There's there's a pack of hungry wolves. Also, you can just go to the edge of the woods and get a tree off the edge. Yeah. You really don't have to go. Right. Just get that tree. Stop being so picky. You don't have to go three hours into the wolf infested forest. <laughs> Chip's the one being picky about the tree. This is the he's never heard of Christmas a few hours before <sighs> this. And now Bell needs to find the perfect tree for Chip. Well, and for. Forte really lays it on thick and he said he claims that the tree was the beast's favorite part of Christmas. Yes. This is a thing that you have to do, Belle, if you really want him to enjoy Christmas. Because his happiness is now your main priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) He says keep. Yeah, he's he's coyly says, well, I guess keeping your word is much more important than bringing joy to another. And Belle's like, fine. (laughs) I'll go risk my life for your Christmas tree. I'll bring Chip. He can save me from the wolves this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Forte kind of slyly assures her that she's in more danger in this very room than in the forest, which should have tipped her right off right then and there. But nope, 
Never mind that it's in the same sort of tone as every villain ever who said the line, I'd love to have you for dinner. <laughs> Come on, Bill. Uh, I guess to be fair, he's bolted to the wall. The most he could do is just shout at her music. Yeah, I guess so. Well, as far as she knows. Yes, yes, yeah. very true. I don't know. For, for some reason, Forte has some uh, magical abilities that we'll probably get to later. <laughs> yes, we will. But for now, Belle agrees to go into the forest. She ain't scared. Takes Philippe. Here's Philippe. And uh, after Belle leaves, Forte sends Fife to follow her. Meanwhile, the Beast is getting dressed up and calls for Cogsworth to bring Belle because it's apparently time for her to hear Forte's song. <laughs> uh, this is Forte's song is the best part of the movie for me. Oh, oh. my goodness. The Forte's song, uh, it's a joyless, out-of-tune version of Deck the Halls. It's beautiful. Which is a very specific kind of adorable coming from Tim Curry. Yeah. Deck the Halls with boughs of holly. Louder! Tim Curry voice dripping with disdain. <laughs> I love this so much, especially because the Beast specifically asked Forte to compose a song for Belle. So does, <laughs> does that mean that Forte in universe is the creator of Deck the Halls? <laughs> oh my God. Deck the Halls was written, was originally written sarcastically. <laughs> Head cannon accepted. I love it. I, I'm only going to sing it sarcastically from now on. <laughs> Tis the season to be jolly. Fa-la-la-la-la. Yeah. That explains fa-la-la-la-la. No one actually sings like that. <laughs> it's someone pretending to be happy. I I specifically looked up the soundtrack to this movie after because I was so hopeful uh -huh. that they had the full Deck the Halls song by Forte. They sadly... Oh. Do not, which is so sad. Ooh. Come on, Disney. Now, Mrs. Potts is stuck having to stall for time because she said Belle and Chip went to go look for a tree. Uh, and eventually she has to admit that they can't find Belle. So he angrily grabs his magic mirror to show him the girl. And it shows her in the sleigh with Philippe leaving the castle. So the beast starts to go after her. But Forte now tries to convince him she's abandoned them, and he sings a much more on-brand song for him called Don't Fall in Love. Oh, my God. <laughs> the quickest way to break your heart, make you depressed and ill, is to get tangled up inside. The side effects could kill. Oh, what a what a song. Where to begin? Oh. <laughs> well, well, during this whole scene, as Forte plays the music, we see the notes materialize on staff paper in these messy, green, glowing blots of ink. And then even more green glowing ink forms little evil cupids in the air around the beast during this whole song, kind of tormenting him. And you think at first that maybe this is just like a metaphorical thing. That's what I thought. But, and yet we see the beast, like he's impacted by these little cherubs. Like they, they interact with him and, and they, yeah. they throw him around. 
And we'll see later on in the movie that, yeah, like this magic seems to exist. It has this. It's tangible. Yes. Why? Why does Forte get extra magic powers? Right. (laughs) Did he already have them before? And that's why he looked like a terrifying skeleton wizard. (laughs) He's secretly a wizard. He Uh, was secretly like a sorcerer all along. Yeah. Well, this is the scene that reminded me of hexes from Ferndale. Slam beneath Beneath me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the song's pretty similar too. But <laughs> yeah, kind of the same vibe. Yep. I I love this song. It's just Forte, yeah, just trying to convince the beast that love and any kind of romantic attachment is terrible. Just don't do it. He even goes Don't fall in love. He even goes so far as to say don't even get a pet because even loving your <laughs> pet is a waste of time. Which is That's cold, man. And it's and it's great because the the fatal flaw in this is that if the beast actually took Forte at his word and decided, you know what, I'm not going to get attached to anything, that would also include Forte and his sad music. Hey, yeah, whoops. Some flaw in your logic there, Forte. <laughs> but seems to be working in making the beast rage downstairs and into the Great Hall, which is already decorated and set for a big feast which he then trashes, and the only one still there to witness it is Angelique, whose heart just breaks again. I knew this was hopeless. And then we check back in on Belle, Chip, and Philippe traveling through the Black Forest. It's getting darker and colder, and oh, hey, the wolves are back. Yeah, you just you hear them howling in the background, and Belle... Yep. You know, she's admittedly, she's like a little nervous about it, but not as nervous as you would think a woman who was just attacked by wolves should be. <laughs> right. No, they've got to find the perfect tree. And I think they found it here at this point, sitting by itself yeah. on the other side of a frozen pond with one beam of moonlight shining on it. So, you know, it's legit. I love that because it reminded me of a uh, Christmas vacation. There's a similar <laughs> shot. Yes. The beam of light. <laughs> I have that note. (laughs) But instead of, I don't know, walking around the pond, the horse starts to just walk across the ice with the sleigh. Yeah, Real confident in the the thickness of that ice. Oh, yeah. And they make it across. They get to the tree and chop it down with the axe. Merry Christmas and the Happy Hanukkah. The Jewish axe who says Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. It's canon. And kudos to Belle for being able to chop down that giant tree by herself. Yeah. yeah. Just rolls up her sleeve and no, she doesn't even do that. No, this is just raw power from Belle. Yeah. That's why she's not scared of wolves, but punch the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're being followed by Lumiere, who is riding Cogsworth like a snowboard. I think we finally found a use for you. Clockboarding. No, snow clocking. Ah! Whatever. <laughs> With Cogsworth's face lying down into the snow. Yeah, this this seems a little dangerous, Lumiere. You're kind of potentially mangling your friend. Right. Uh, and they're also being followed by Fife, who tries to unhook Philippe from the sleigh. But no one knows he's there. And they get the tree tied to the back before he can finish. So he gets launched onto the ice ahead of them. 
And that's when Bell sees Fife and asks what he's doing there. And in a panic, he makes a high-pitched toot that startles Philippe and makes the horse stamp a hole into the ice. And that's what breaks it loose. What are you doing way out here? Uh, nothing. I just was, uh, walking. I mean, uh, I love the bitter cold. <laughs> I mean, uh... Absolutely terrifying. There, there's a couple of storm ponds by my house and they freeze over the winter. And I don't know why, but every time I walk past them, I always think, what if I fell through that ice? Even though I'm, I'm nowhere near the actual surface of the ice. I always just like think like, what if, and I feel like maybe this movie and uh, the once upon a winter time short traumatized me to think that one day I might just somehow find myself in the middle of a frozen ice field and it starts to crack. Disney loves to go back to that just pieces of ice floating away from each other on a frozen lake. My my brain always goes to Balto. Yeah. When Balto, Balto goes under the yep. ice. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Balto goes under the ice. That happens to Bell here too for a second. Cause both Chip and Fife fall into the water, followed by Bell as she tries to save Chip. And she does, but The tree has also gone into the water with the rope still attached to it. And now the rope snags Belle's leg and pulls her under because it's a pretty big tree that she has chopped down by herself. Does Chip have to breathe? (laughs) I Hey, yeah. (laughs) It's just a pond. It's not like I don't think it's a river with a waterfall or, or anything like every other time I've seen this trope. Could you imagine if they just they had to leave Chip under the ice and we're like, Merry <laughs> oh, Christmas. Just, we'll just we'll come back when it thaws, Chip. Stay strong. Yeah, right. See you in March, Chip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's oh. it. Maybe yeah, dude, Chip sinks, <laughs> but only after he's completely filled with water. But. Lumiere and Cogsworth have arrived by now, but they're too small to hold on to Bell. But the beast soon arrives and dives in to save her. But he is not happy about it. And with a stone cold, angry glare on his face, he carries the unconscious Bell back to the castle alone. And here is where Fife realizes, oh, I think I might be the bad guy. <laughs> hmm. Wait a minute. <laughs> says the old what have I done to himself and Lumiere who has no idea of what Fife has been up to this whole time reassures him we are all to blame for daring to hope for Christmas uh, <laughs> rub, rubbing a little more salt into the wound yeah really and I guess Fife just leaves it at that little coward because we cut away but no we cut to Belle who's now in the dungeon where the beast says she'll rot forever for breaking her promise and leaving. She's notably still in the clothes that she went into the freezing water in and almost certainly getting hypothermia. Yeah. Sure. Well, there's a window with bars right there. So the wind's coming in and the clock tower chimes midnight. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ugh. Well, everyone else visits Belle in the dungeon, including Angelique, who tells her, I told you it was hopeless. But after a beat, she adds, But I was wrong. And she sings a solemn reprise of As Long As There's Christmas. When I felt lost and lonely, not a dream in my head. 
which is fair and it's a nice message to have but i do question how angelique came to this conclusion yeah especially because she really she did not do much in this movie i don't understand why they have this character because she appears they try and get her to do the decorations she refuses and then the next time we see her is when the beast it trashes all of the decorations so i don't they really did not use bernadette peters to their full advantage they really didn't the only thing I can come up with that makes any sense as to how she kind of changed her mind is just this scene right here with everybody else going to visit Belle, even though she's in the dungeon. They want to cheer her up and wish her a Merry Christmas, even after all of this. But meanwhile, the beast is moping in the West Wing again, where Forte tries to convince him to forget about Belle and forget about love by destroying the Rose. The Rose, remember, is serving as a countdown to the time the Beast has left to make someone love him for who he is, or else he'll remain cursed forever. Which is exactly what Forte wants. He's like, nope, I'm happy with uh, my position right now. Let's uh, make it permanent. I'm totally stoked to remain bolted to a wall for eternity. Yes, (laughs) so long as I'm with you, Beast. Really? (laughs) But also remember that Belle left him that present next to the Rose. (gasps) And that's what the Beast focuses on this time. It's past midnight now, so he can open it. Sees the storybook she made for him. And even he realizes that when he tells a mocking forte, this one's different. It's from Belle. And the Beast starts to sit and read the book to himself. And hang on a minute. The Beast isn't supposed to know how to read. (laughs) I was thinking about, I didn't (laughs) catch... I was thinking about that after I finished this. I'm like, wait a minute. There's that whole new song where they're like, he can't even read the word two. Right. So (laughs) admittedly, that scene got cut from the original movie. So for anyone who watched this in 1997, but not the Broadway version, no issue. Yeah. (laughs) But in that Broadway version and in the restored DVD that I was talking about from 2002, The Beast tells Belle he doesn't know how to read during a scene that appears after the events of this special. Mm -hmm. Which, again, it calls calls into the question, that big, huge library, I guess maybe that was a relative, you know, maybe his father started that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just, which I would kind of make it like a weird thing that he gives the library to Belle because it would be worthless to him as somebody who didn't read. So I guess it's like, here, use this thing that I'm not using anyways. Yeah, well, now I think the Beast just lied to Belle about not knowing how to read and attempt to get closer oh, with her. Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh. Special couples reading time, mm. you sly devil. Ah. <laughs> That's a oh. tip from Lumiere. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, has either of you ever caught someone else you were dating in a lie? <laughs> <laughs> Or didn't and find out later that they were lying? Uh, <laughs> you're asking the two wrong, the most wrong people for that. Okay. <laughs> I once dated a girl who lied about her age, and it wasn't a legal thing either, because I was 15, she was 14, I think. What? But she had told me she was 16. 
Oh, just and at one point, I remember her showing me pictures of herself as a kid, and one I think was a birthday picture with a year on the back. And I balked for a second before she very quickly turned the page. <gasps> and at the time, I just let it go because I didn't care. <laughs> but what a dumb thing to lie about at that yeah. age! <laughs> like if I was eighteen, I would have been serious, but I wasn't. So what? What's the point? Yeah. Wait. <laughs> I don't know. That was the only thing I can think of, like, in a dating context. Of course, we all had that liar friend who whose uncle worked for Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Not as smooth as the beast here, who reads Belle's story about an enchanted castle, and we see very beautifully drawn and written pages as the beast lingers on the sentence, Christmas that year was spent exchanging humble gifts, but the greatest gift that anyone received is the gift of hope. And that makes him get up and walk out to the protest of Forte, but too late, he's gone. And we cut back to the dungeon where Chip tells Belle, you know what? I don't need a tree to celebrate Christmas. (laughs) And Lumiere and Cogsworth follow that up with a weird thing where they try to one-up each other with, well, I don't need mistletoe. Well, I don't need holly. I don't need tinsel. And they keep going right into another song called A Cut Above the Rest. To each his own, my friend. You know how to get me stressed. But when it comes to making Christmas special... Uh, uh, I'm a cut above the rest. Yeah, this is this is not fit. No, this nope. this is not a, not the time for this, guys. It's very late. I'm sure Bell just wants to sleep in something dry. Hopefully, yeah. Please put your egos away. Right. It starts out with them arguing, but Bell intervenes during this song, saying they're better as a pair and twice as smart. So then it devolves to we're a cut above the rest. And just a sh- weird, short little song that doesn't belong here. Yeah, no. I, I almost feel like it sh- maybe should have been earlier in the movie. Like, did something get moved around and they had already recorded the song and so they didn't want to drop it all together? So they just kind of slotted it in at this very odd spot. Yeah, I felt like they maybe wanted to give Lumiere and Cogsworth a duet that couldn't fit in the original movie. So they stuck it here and made it shorter. Maybe it's it's super weird. Doesn't hit the flow of the movie at all. It's just (laughs) Christmas morning. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But right at the end, the beast walks into the dungeon very softly, very humbly for for the beast anyway. Can you forgive me? Of course. Merry Christmas. So the beast tells everyone else, let's give Belle the Christmas she's always wanted. And they all cheer. Hooray. But But wait. wait. Forte's not going down without a fight. So he blares his organ pipes loudly enough to crack the windows and make the dungeon start collapsing. Because as he explains, they they can't can't fall fall in love if they're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Wow. Zero to a thousand here, Forte. (laughs) Right. Well... And I got nerdy again and decided to look up how loud is the loudest organ in the world. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say, how loud do you need to play to explode a human being? <laughs> well, <laughs> you would think it'd be less than rocks. You'd think they'd, they'd at least yeah. be deaf. Yeah. By this oh, yeah. Uh, but apparently the loudest organ in the world is an organ stop in Atlantic City, New Jersey, built in 1932 Ooh. and described as ear splitting and more than six times the volume of the loudest locomotive whistle. Oh, wow. Huh. Oh. You were too busy wondering if you could <laughs> and not thinking about whether you should. <laughs> How do you how do you even play something like that? Very carefully. <laughs> why would you why oh I don't know. I'm from New Jersey. We don't think about things. <laughs> I and I like I have never enjoyed loud loudness. So that just sounds awful, especially. Yeah. I'm just like, no, I won't go anywhere near that. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, and I couldn't find anything about whether it was loud enough to break a glass window or split a crack down the middle of a stone wall in the floor of a dungeon, because <laughs> yeah. that's what happens here. And maybe it's it's the sound, but it's also his unexplained sorcerer magic. <laughs> yeah. It could be that. It could be just the vibration of everything. It's an old castle. Completely cracks the floor in half, separating Belle and the Beast on either side of this fault line that Forte's <laughs> created. And now Fife, who's been down in the dungeon with the others visiting Bell, by the way, knows what's up, and he goes off to tell Forte to stop. And here, I don't think we've talked about why Fife has been helping Forte in the first place. And it's not just because he's a weak little yes man. It's because Forte promised to write Fife a solo. And now, as Forte is trying to bring down the whole castle, we find out the trunk where Forte told Fife he was keeping his solo opens to reveal a bunch of blank pieces of paper. My solo! It's blank! <laughs> so naive. <laughs> Your second fifth, Fife! Dun, dun, dun. You got played, Fife. Uh, what did you expect? Fight? He's so clearly evil. I, I do enjoy that. It's it's just that little extra touch where it's like, just in case you would miss that, perhaps Forte was the villain here. He didn't even write five. His so yeah. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Well, then the beast enters, and Forte just blasts him with his green glowing music energy stuff. Uh, I. <laughs> I meant to look up if there was a video game based on this. I don't think so, but I feel like this would be a really sweet final boss. Oh, it oh, would be. Would. There was a there was a Beauty and the Beast game, like a game for the movie proper. Yeah. Unlike the Game Boy, probably. I think it, uh, I SNES. SNES had one. They did a Genesis oh. one. I'm sure there was a Game Boy copy. I know that I know I had the Little Mermaid game for uh for the for the original Game Boy. I I, I could had... never get past the first level. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had the Nintendo one where she like throws, she picks up and throws shells at people. I had the Tiger Electronics one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the story of Beauty and the Beast, of Belle's bravery, her love for the Beast, and a race against time. And it's all in a handheld game. You can help Belle find her father. Make friends with enchanted objects and get past Gaston. 
If you can help Belle kiss the beast before the last rose petal falls, he'll turn back into a prince. And you win. Disney's Beauty and the Beast, an electronic game new from Tiger. Batteries not included. Bring those back. <laughs> oh. oh, but this green glowing music energy is enough to knock the beast on his butt. Forte's so powerful. Yeah, man. <laughs> but, but as Belle and the others arrive, Fife tells the beast to go for Forte's keyboard, which the beast lifts off and tosses aside. Yeah, this is the most metal thing that he's done. Just rips Forte apart. Yep. Like, literally, that would be his body, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. He tears this man to shreds. Just like guts him. <laughs> and as Forte now angrily breaks free from the bolts chaining him to the wall, he quickly realizes he's too top heavy <laughs> and comes crashing down onto his big, creepy CGI face. And I guess he's dead. The end. <laughs> yeah. The end. Which just begs the question is when when they get released from the spell. What, what <laughs> is there a body up there? It's just mangled it's just two halves of a body down in the basement. <laughs> well, there's his stomach. <laughs> we don't get to see any of that. We quickly cut back to the redecorated Great Hall Yay. as Belle and the Beast enter in their dancing outfits from the title track of the original movie. Because who cares about timelines in this? We're just retconning everything. Yeah, so the first time they see each other in those in uh, those outfits is not in the incredible ballroom scene in, in Beauty and the Beast. It is, in fact, here. Yeah. Christmas morning. Christmas morning. Disappointing. But, <laughs> but then we flash forward back to the present before we have to explain any of that with the human Mrs. Potts finishing her story about last Christmas and deciding if anyone saved it, it was Belle, who now enters the party with her prince. And she's wearing this red wine-colored dress with yellow down the middle. And if you see Belle at a Disney theme park around Christmas time, she is wearing this dress. Oh, Fun fact, but this outfit was actually designed by a woman named Lisa Temming, who worked at Mattel uh, during the uh, 90s. Uh, so Disney had actually let Mattel know that they were working on this movie and they didn't have a design for Belle's dress. And so Mattel was given permission to design the dress and Lisa did a bunch of designs. Disney picked one. And this is the design that's made it into the film. And as Mike said, you see this anytime you need Belle in a holiday dress. This is the one she wears. Yep. Huh. But when you usually go to a Disney park around Christmas time, yeah, you'll see Belle wearing this dress. But the beast is still a beast. Yeah. Easier to recognize, I guess. The timelines. <laughs> <laughs> Time is meaningless. Time is a meaningless construct in the Disney jurisdiction. Disney owns Marvel now, so it's just a multiverse thing. It's a, yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's a multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> and wave. Uh, but here, Belle and the Prince give the first gift of Christmas to Chip. And wouldn't you know it? It's a book. Wow. Books and songs. That's all anyone gets in this universe, and everyone's fine with that. Yeah. Sure hope Chip knows how to read. <laughs> Maybe that's why he has the big library. Everyone only ever gets <gasps> in books. That's it. We've <laughs> solved it. It's just, yeah, it's not a library. It's a second attic. He's just re-gifting constantly. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, books and songs, because then the prince asks his new maestro to kick off the music, and aw, it's five. Would you do us the honor, old friend? I'd be delighted. <laughs> Yay. It's human fife. Yeah, just genuinely, it's a kind of a sweet moment. Um, yeah. Maybe a little soured by the fact that I don't think anyone ever found out that Fife was playing was with for yeah. four No, he got off easy. He's taken that secret to his grave. Yup. <laughs> uh, and as the prince gives Belle his gift, and it's a rose, but not the rose. Just... Yes. A rose. Just a rose. We saw the last petal fall on that one, but it's a rose, and and that's it. That's the that's the movie. We fade out to the castle under one particularly bright star in the sky, and the credits roll, accompanied by a pop version of "As Long as There's Christmas" by Peebo Bryson and Roberta Flack. As long as there's Christmas, I truly. Yeah, Kathy Lee Gifford was not available for this. Not one. available, <laughs> but you gotta get gotta get Pimo Bryson back. He famously sang the credits to Beauty and the Beast and A Whole New World. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, but but that's it. We made it. We did it. We made it through the one of the weirdest mid pulls I can think of. Because boy, this is a lot to never mention again. <laughs> yep. Any final thoughts on Beauty and the Beast, the Enchanted Christmas? <laughs> it's not its not the worst Disney sequel or midquill that I've ever seen, um, but it definitely feels like a big step down from the original film, which... Oh, yeah. You know, the original film, I think anyone of any age could watch that and enjoy it. This film, I feel like its it's hard as an adult to enjoy... Um, it's just a little shallow, so not terrible, but it's not one that I'm likely going to be putting on for myself at Christmas. Yeah. Other, the, the high point, the bright spot, Tim Curry, uh, the organ, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but the rest of it is just sort of like, eh, eh, it's not the worst, but yeah, yeah, I probably won't watch it again unless I have to do it again for the podcast at some point in the future. Because <laughs> who knows? With <laughs> I was watching parts of this, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that, and I just watched it last year. So, <laughs> No, one and done for this show, but as far as direct-to-video <laughs> Disney sequels go, even, I think this one is middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very silly, very unnecessary, but the cast especially does a great job with the material they're given, especially the newcomers. To this universe, Tim Curry, we talked about Bernadette Peters, very underutilized, but she does well with what she has. Uh, and Paul Rubens was also fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's enough of a gift for me. Merry Christmas. But thank you both again for being my guest on this episode. Aw. Had to get it in there once. Thank you for having <laughs> us. Thank you so much for having us back. This is so fun. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and if people want to play off key Christmas carols on creepy pipe organs in your honor, <laughs> where can they find you on the Internet, Christy? Um, Probably best place to do so is just go look us up at Twitter. We are Bad Princess MOV. And Bree, anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, I'm I mean, you can reach me there through Christy or just I'm also on Twitter uh, at Wallabree. 
Thank you so much again. Both of those links are in the show notes, as well as all of the tangents we went down in this episode. <laughs> and you can find those at adventcalendar.house. Uh, and you can find links to all of my socials there as well. They're all there. I don't make it too hard. Thanks for listening. Uh, and tune in again very soon. I wonder what the next episode will be. Find out in a couple of days. Until next time, for Christian Bree from Bad Princess Movies, from the top of an intricately constructed but still fragile and unsafe Christmas tree made out of expensive tableware. This is Mike Westfall reminding you to please watch out for the icy patch. And hey, take care of your magic plants. They still need water. <laughs> Good night. So there always will be a time when the world is filled with peace and love. And now, these messages. Love. Family. Traditions. Presents. Pumpkins. Fireworks. Santa Claus. All make you think of holidays, right? Well, what about murder, heartbreak, gangsters, and witchcraft? Still thinking about holidays? Beginning this February, I will take you on a journey to the lesser-known sides of the holidays, the sides history might try to forget, the celebrations that you might not be familiar with. Oh, and don't worry, I'll be sprinkling in some elements of normal holiday traditions, too. After all, even those of us with the dark side still have a special place in our hearts for the Easter Bunny, Valentine's Candy, cute jack-o'-lanterns and ghosts, and of course, all things merry and bright. Let's uncover and celebrate the strange and unusual together. I'm your host, Kristen, and this is Holidays After Dark. Next time on the Advent Calendar House... Oh, baby, I I'm gonna get hang-